Welcome to The Expert View. I'm Siobhan Creighton, and today I'm joined by Dr. Aina Falvey. Yeah, hi, Siobhan. Uh, delighted to be on today. Thank you for asking me. Um, Aina Falvey is my name. I'm a sports and exercise medicine physician. I'm from Cork. Um, I um, am a member of the Faculty of Sports and Exercise Medicine uh, in Ireland um, and uh, currently work as the Chief Medical Officer for uh, World Rugby. I've been working in elite sport for 20 years um, and having uh, been involved in many sports myself as a younger man. Okay, so very interesting uh, times I guess that we live in now. Uh, when you throw a pandemic into the sports situation it changes everything as and life as we know it. Um, I'm just mindful that, you know, in the, in the last week or so, you've had children going back to sports. Parents are being asked to sign forms and get used to the whole new normal. H how much of a risk is it for people to get back into sport again? The risk in, in, uh, in COVID-19 relates to the disease prevalence in the country. So when a country uh, has rates that are decreasing, this is obviously a positive, and when the, when the community rates are so low that there isn't a lot of community transmission, it, then it's obviously um, much lower in terms of risk. So, for example, we're in Cork at the moment where there haven't been um, really new cases of note in the last couple of weeks, which would make getting out and about far safer than it uh, than it has been in, in the previous months. If you're living in an area which is more built up, there may be a slightly higher risk, but overall the risk is very low at the moment. Um, added to that, um, you know, outdoor activity is much, much safer than indoor activity for your children. So for your children to be out and about and playing sport at the moment is probably one of the best things for them to do. Uh, we know that one study from Japan showed that your risk of getting an infection outdoors versus indoors is about a 20th lower. So, so one in 20 uh, occur outdoors as opposed to indoors. And that's even strengthened further from data from China where in 302 clusters that they recorded and tracked carefully, only one of those occurred outdoors, the rest were indoors. So the main mode of transfer of COVID-19 is via droplets from your, from your breath. So when you talk or shout or laugh or cough, um, you transmit that uh, that that viral uh, information to, to somebody else who breathes it in and, and, and can become infected. And being outside really disperses that risk considerably, so it makes it an awful lot safer for you when you are outside. Um, allied to that, uh, the, the, the risk in terms of if you are unlucky enough to catch COVID-19, the risk of having a significant adverse event is much, much, much lower in children than it is in adults. So if we took our reference range at 60 to 65 years of age, uh, a child is, is, uh, has a 14 times lower risk of a severe outcome of COVID than an adult of 60 to 65 does, and that rate goes up as you get older. Now the concern there would be that if a child becomes infected and then goes home to their grandparents, that, that, that's the concern. That's why we're all being very careful about this. But I think if we're out and about and if we engage in social distancing where we can and if we are careful about washing our hands before and after the activity where we can't wash them uh, or we sanitize with them and um, also using masks outdoors when we're not exercising is, 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 
is these are all things that will significantly improve our our, our chances of doing so safely. And um, the mask side of things is one which I think we really need to promote an awful lot harder in Ireland than we have been doing. There's a really good study from the states came out this week, and they've shown that in those states where mask wearing is obliged, they have immediately seen their rates drop in terms of infection in those states and in those states where unfortunately masks have become a political issue in the mm-hmm. United States but in those states where where masks are, are not made where they're made you know where you're allowed to make your own choice on that the rates are rising steadily so um for something that's very cheap and easily done albeit culturally a difficult one for us to grasp it's a really uh, low cost uh, real bang for buck measure that we can use so so you should wear a mask to and from training you should wear a mask to the shop when you're buying something after your training and when you get home then you, you you can you can take it off again you should sanitize your hands before you get into training you should sanitize your hands afterwards and when you are training and um, when you can you should maintain social distance and 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 realistically if we're to employ those measures with the low rates that we have in our community at the moment now it is quite it appears to be quite a safe activity okay and so for parents going along to look at their kids should they be wearing a mask when they're outside if they're watching if you're, it's about proximity so if you're outside and you're standing in a group with five other people and you're chatting directly into their face you should uh, if you're standing on your own and you're you know watching a training or having a look at your phone then that's not a problem you don't necessarily need to do it but the, but the scenario is even when you are training standing there watching your phone somebody comes up and talks to you you're then in a situation where you are you're creating a risk that you mightn't that you might be considerably decreasing by wearing just a simple cloth mask right okay so the masks then are essential to, to keeping the sports going yeah and they're essential to us I think not just to keep keeping the sports going, but we're in a reasonably good place with the disease now at the moment and keeping us where we are is where we need to be. So as we try and open up the country and get back to some kind of normality, any measure which will decrease our, our rate of infection is a positive one. I heard a I heard a fantastic analogy of, of the coronavirus. It, it's like a it's like a, a vicious dog that's chasing and you run up the tree and you're up the tree and he can't get at you, but he's still at the bottom of the tree. You know, there's no, there, there, no until, we have a, until we have a vaccine, this isn't going anywhere. So anything we can do to keep that down, it, we've got to encourage it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so then if we were like, what kind of a sports season are we going to have? Um, you know, will we be able to get big games back? Will people be able to go to the stadiums? Like, yeah. Yeah. where are we going with all this? Uh, I think, I think you, you can break that up into a couple of situations there. So first of all, I think it's far easier to get professional sport back into action than it is to get amateur sport. It's more difficult. People have to go to work during the day. They have to interact with so many more people than a professional athlete does. So I think we get the elite stuff back. I think, you know, there are going to be blips. There are going to be outbreaks. But we're in that phase now. We're in the dance phase of the whole thing now where we'll get a blip and we need to have our contact tracing and our testing and tracing in place so that if I get infected and I meet you, we can find out that I've met you and that you need to be tested, etc. And we can we can lock it down based on our testing and tracing. So for sport, while sport offers an exposure risk, it also offers a brilliant tracking risk because everybody knows where everybody is at all times. Players literally, you know, uh, you know, 
don't have a bite of food without kind of being told that that's what they're to do and how to do it. So, so there's a really good means of, of tracking these elite athletes because their day is planned out for them start to finish. That's a lot different than an amateur setting where a guy is running from work and grabbing a sandwich on his way to get out to training and then going off maybe doing some more work afterwards or similar. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit trickier. But so I think we'll get the big games back. The question will be around crowds and, and that's to do with social distancing. So I think if we have two meter social distancing, it will make putting people in a stadium difficult and, 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 and you know, problematic, to be honest with you. If we have social distancing at, at one meter, then you are, you're potentially in an area where, where this may be doable. I would argue that if you had social distancing of a meter and you had people wear masks, you'd probably be able to get away with it just fine. Um, but whether people are prepared to go with, with that or not, they, I'm not sure. So I suppose from our perspective, as I've said from the very start, this this is government policy and public health policy. So we're we're it's not about sport deciding. This sport will go where policy allows sport to go and where it's safe to go. So if if um, if public health are happy for you to have one meter social distancing and have say small crowds of five thousand, then that's what you're going to have at, at games. Until that occurs, though, you've got the plan. Like you're 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 not going to have them for a while. Okay, um, and how, how are they going to manage in terms of, um, there's going to have to be a lot of testing of teams, right? And, uh, you know, if, if on the day they're tested, will the match go ahead? Are people going yeah. into quarantine after? Like, how are you going yeah. to manage all that? So, so that depends on the sport. So, um, for example, um, the first days is so there's screening and there's testing. And, and uh, you know, I know that, that you know, in, in rugby, for example, we're recommending that everybody be symptom screened before they meet every day. So in other words, uh, if it's an online app or similar, that they fill out their app at home. Don't even leave the home if, they're, if they've got symptoms and, and if that app is able to look at whether or not they have underlying comorbidity. So for example, if you've got asthma and you show up that you're breathless today, then you're, you're going to be told, no, you shouldn't train today. You should probably go and talk to your doctor, etc. That's the number one step is making sure that nobody sick turns up at the ground. That's, okay. that's, that's a good start. Yeah. Then second of all, it's whether or not people do temperature checks or not. Now, the, the evidence is not fantastic around the use of temperature checks because it's made basically around the the uh, the equipment. The equipment isn't very good uh, unless you spend a lot of money on it. So so the validity isn't there. So so whether or not people do temperature checks is another moot point. But then, um, uh, in certainly in professional rugby, they're looking at testing, doing a PCR swab once a week on the squads to make sure that there's nobody there. That the once a week one is probably the sweet point because. The test is at its very best eight days post exposure. Uh, for the first two to three days, there's a very high false negative rate for the test, and it gets better as you go along. But at eight days, you're at your sweet point. So once a week is probably a good time to test that. And in general, teams would also look at doing that test 48 hours before a game, so that you have a result back in time for somebody who may have it, may have it, so they can be taken out of the equation. But that also has a significant bearing on who's exposed and who's classified as a close contact. So we've done a lot of work around around what it looks like in rugby. I know there's been some work done in other sports as well. With but the issue being that if somebody has, if I have breathed your air in training for a prolonged period of time, you know whether that's five seconds, whether it's ten seconds, whether we we've been in that kind of contact. 
does that mean that I have a high risk? Or, or, and, and what we've done is we've deferred to public health on that. So basically, if a club has a case, what the club will be able to do is say to the to the public health, here are the 20 people who are at that training session, here are the five guys he was in close proximity to based on his GPS data, and uh, from that perspective, here are the two guys he did a wrestling drill against. And, and then the public health may say, okay, well, these guys need to be isolated pending your test and we'll see where we are on that. If that test is negative, we can reevaluate where we are. If it's positive, then they may well need to, to quarantine on the basis of what. So, so, so that's, that's, the, that's the structure that's in place on that. And again, that's a hell of a lot easier when you have a low disease prevalence in the society as opposed to when you have a higher one. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, you look at the different countries, you know, if you think about the difference between England and here, I mean, you, yeah. you can't really see a game going ahead between Ireland and England, can you, anytime soon? You'd be surprised. I mean, they've, brought, they've had Premier, Premier League football back in England now for about uh, four weeks. Um, they've had it in Germany since May 16th. So um, even somewhere like UK, where the rates are much higher, they, they, those, those, those rates are, are, are continuing to fall. Uh, you know, we, we saw that there was a local lockdown in Leeds there now recently, and that's that pattern I was speaking to you about a while ago where you have a local outbreak. We see that in Melbourne and Australia at the moment as well. But I think what's interesting about this is, again, sports taking its lead from other people. Um, you know, they're talking about opening green corridors on travel between Ireland and England. That's there. So, like, if, if government are leading on terms of, of business and commercial travel, then sport may well be able to follow in the footsteps of that. So that's that's the, the big the big issue with playing between two countries at the moment are the quarantine um, guidelines which are in place. But if those quarantine guidelines are not in place, again. I would far, I would, I would much prefer my chances bringing a professional rugby squad over to England to play a game than allowing twenty people go to Cheltenham for a, for a weekend. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. In terms of your ability to control what yeah. happens in that environment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and I know there were um, certain aspects of rugby. Rugby was seen to be riskier in some ways, wasn't it? In terms of the contact, as uh, you know, in terms of as, as you explained about breathing in somebody else's air than perhaps GAA or soccer. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think to be honest, I think you can probably break it up into indoor versus outdoor exposure. So, um, you know, uh, the a real question to think about is: Are you um, are you more at risk of, of, of if you meet somebody who's got uh, COVID nineteen? Are you more at risk having a coffee with them in a cafe or playing a rugby match against them? And the likelihood is that you're far higher at risk than having a coffee with them. Yes, there's there's a risk if you tackle somebody and you share the air with them, but. You're, out, you're outdoors, uh, there's there's air movement um, and you've got that, whether that risk is present or not, as opposed to sitting in an indoor facility where, where the air isn't circulating and you're breathing each other's air, where, where those droplets can hang in the air for, for five to ten minutes if that if that's if that's really without a mask on. So I suppose um, the, the issue around rugby, one of, one, one of the first ones everybody looks at is actually the scrum and we did quite a amount of work on that where we looked at the amount of time spent in each scrum is about 18 seconds um, so when the when the teams engage and then they push they break up and it takes three to four seconds for the players to get up and move off and um, what we actually found was that for the nine and a half scrums that happen on average per game um, that time was actually smaller than the amount of time taken for the four scrums which have to be reset in the game so the teams 
they go into the scrum, they collapse, they come back up, they're facing each other, breathing each other's air, then they come back down and they, they set again. So we looked at getting some measures in place about taking the reset out while COVID is around. So those those um, rule changes are available to unions if they wish to use them at the moment. No one has to date, but that's 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 something we've looked at for that reason. What's been very interesting is um, a modelling company from Belgium called ANSYS, were uh, were um, uh, employed by the BBC. There was something went out at the weekend, which we contributed to, where they looked at modelling in the scrum. And what actually happens in the scrum is when the two teams engage, their heads are facing downward, so their breath is actually going straight down onto the grass rather than being shared by each other, which is not something you'd ever have thought of, mm-hmm. really. So in reality, it was back to what we're talking about. When the teams are standing facing each other, they're at a far higher risk than when they're actually engaged, which. Is, is almost contrary to what you would mm-hmm. expect. So it's like everything else with this virus, we're learning all the time and it constantly makes fools out of us whenever we think we, we understand one part, it brings in another little curl, which makes it more difficult again. So just talking to you, you seem to be quite optimistic that the sports are going to get back and that there'll be a high level of protection, really, if people exercise the fundamental um, public health advice. Is that a fair assessment? It's all about the fundamentals. It always has been and it will remain so until we have a vaccine. People need to be sensible and they need to take the advice on board that they're getting. You know, like, I mean, again, if you look at, if you bring if you bring two teams together in Dublin at the weekend and you had, say, for example, Nafina playing Ballymun at the weekend, there would be so many measures and checks and guards in place to, to make that happen, as opposed to 200 people standing out drinking out in the street. Do, do, do you know what I'm yeah. saying? So, so like almost all other activities, people people look at team sports and say, oh, look, there's a risk attached to that in terms of injury. The number of injuries that occur in team sports in Ireland are swamped by the number of injuries that occur, occur in unstructured play, in playgrounds and things like that, where there is no supervision and children are behaving, are involved in dangerous behaviour. That, 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 that oversight uh, and that structure on what's happening, there's great safety in that. Dave, are you concerned about a second wave? Yeah, I, 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 it's interesting. We had a, a good conversation with uh, Professor Sir David Spiegelhalter from Cambridge, who would be a, a, an expert in this area in, in terms of risk and epidemiology in the UK. And he's quite, quite um, certain that the the second wave that people are worried about and predicting is unlikely to happen because of where people are. So in other words, because people are aware, because there are structures in place that we can lock down on things when they occur. I suppose that would be the one slight concern you'd see where our testing centres have gone from 40 down to two in the country uh, in the last week or two, where you'd have to say we need the facility there to test heavily when cases occur, because they will occur, they'll mm-hmm. sporadically occur. They'll occur when people travel from Dublin on their summer holidays, when people come from, from up north on their holidays, when people come from the UK, we will have seeding of cases rather than community transfer and we need to be able to clamp down hard on those so that an individual case doesn't become a cluster and a cluster doesn't become you know a wave because the one thing that that you know I've worked in Dublin for many years and many people in Dublin fail to see anything outside of the M50 in terms of the rest of the country but but the rest of the country has been actually reasonably you know especially down south and across west Mm. have been reasonably affected likely in comparison to Dublin but that like Australia and New Zealand has its own negative in that if there are cases seeded into that environment there are vulnerable people there who have not been affected so so that's actually where you'll probably get your cases if you're going to get them where we haven't I think while we're in that scenario, it's unlikely to be crowds at a game will, will, will be the outbreak. And the question is, if you're if you're having an outbreak from an actual physical match, 
you've got your 30 players and, and, and surround people that you can trace quite quickly on that. As I said to you, I would be far more worried about a nightclub or, you know, or a pub scenario like that being being a risk for you there, you know. But well if you look at the twelve weeks we've just we've just undergone where people have been have been cut down on, on many of their normal activities and the one of the one of the aspects of this which has been most affected is social interaction. You know we're, we're we're social animals and we need that social interaction and that's where team sport comes into its own any kind of activity really whether it's a running club whether it's getting out doing an outdoor exercise class with your friends outdoor activity adds ancillary benefits that are that are far beyond the exercise that that social interaction i'd i'd strongly encourage people to try and get back to some sort of normality getting a sweat up and, and feeling healthy about what you're doing is one of the is one of the better ways to feel better about most things so um i think that that's going to be a route for, for a lot of people dr Raina falvey thank you for your expert view